I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddo, and today I couldn't ask for better company to be holed up in a cosy studio with. My first guest took the music scene by storm over 25 years ago, though he doesn't like to be reminded of that, when his band Suede became the face of Britpop. Singer, songwriter, author Brett Anderson, welcome to Book Off. Thank you, Joe. Lovely, lovely to be to here. And, yes. and lovely to have you. Thank and you so much. joining him on our lovely sofa seat, the official poet of the 2012 Olympics, a BAFTA-nominated writer with an MBE and is now Chancellor of the University of Manchester. Just a few strings to your bow. Lem Sisse, welcome. But thank you very much <laughs> for, for displaying those strings. Harp-like. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, thank you. Very prestigious. <laughs> you know, I, just, I just got the face of Britpop. You know, I didn't, <laughs> no, no, no. Think any, <laughs> you know, that's, you know. That, that, that's the way to do it. Not the, the way Brett is poet of the Olympic Games. God, <laughs> Brett has got a name of a writer. You know? <laughs> yeah. Brett is just—he was made to be a writer. Uh, so I'm, 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 I'm on your side. Uh, we're swap size. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and what's lovely is already you have each other's books in front of you. So you've, yes. you've already swapped these two brilliant memoirs, which we're, we're going to talk about. And uh, for those who are new to the Book Off podcast, let me explain that a little later on, both my guests will be pitching a book to us that they love and think that we should all read. They're going to get three minutes on the clock if they choose to use it. And after each pitch, I'll decide which book to take home. So we'll find out what those are a little later on. First, though, I do want to talk about, about these two books because um, you've both recently published memoirs and they're both absolutely fantastic, very different. I ate them up. Brett, the last time I saw you was at an event in Bath, mm. I believe, and this was for your first memoir, Cold Black Morning. Mm. Uh, and here we are talking about Afternoons with the Blind Drawn, which was a book that you didn't think you'd write. No, the, the the first chapter of this is actually called the book I said I wouldn't write, slightly in a slightly wry way. <laughs> um, I suppose it's you know the whole point of the first memoir was that it didn't delve into kind of the rock cliches. Um, it stopped very consciously at the point where most rock biographies start. It, it stopped where 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 the band got signed, and I thought that was a very kind of like a, a sort of symbolic moment. Uh, and I suppose people say, well, why have you written a second one? And I thought, well, two reasons. Firstly, I really enjoyed the process of writing with Cold Black Mornings. I kind of enjoyed it much more than I thought, it, thought I would. And secondly, I thought what I could do with the second book 
Um, whereas the first one is more of a kind of like Bildung's Roman, kind of, you know, the artist as a, as a young man kind of backstory, the prehistory. What I wanted to do with this one is look at my experiences um, as a singer, songwriter, sort of person that got sort of like dragged through the machinery of stardom and fame and look at what that did to me. Mm. Um, as a person, sort of psychologically. And I thought that was an interesting standpoint because I don't think, I personally, I'm sure someone can correct me, but I, I, I don't, I'm not really aware of other books that have done that. It seems to me that either you have the kind of like the cultural commentator's point of view uh, um, of someone else um, looking at what happened to them, you know, the story of Judy Garland, what happened to uh, yeah. her, what, why, why she was, you know, what, why she became like she did, her childhood, blah, 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 blah. Or you get the first person autobiography, which tends to be in, 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 in rock autobiograph- autobiographies, tends to be a story of success and collapse and drugs and excess and all of these things. But they tend not to go much deeper than that. It tends to be a series of things that happen to the subject. Mm. And what I wanted to look at was why these things had happened to me and what it was, kind of like analyse the machinery around me that had caused these things. And I thought that was an interesting standpoint. It, it really is. It's such a different approach to it. And like you say, Brett, the... the autobiographies that I've read of, of those classic sort of rock star things are like, we were we were out in the gutter, then we did this, and mm. then we just took all these drugs, and it was the, you know, and it's like, great, okay, because you get the sort of showbiz rock and roll tips, mm. mm. but, but this is just so much, it's just so interesting to look at it from this side that you've done, and I want to talk more about uh, certainly the press and that, what yeah. effect that sort of had on you yeah. um, in just a moment. Lem, if I can come to you, though, because you've also published your memoir, your first memoir, um, and... It's received a lot of attention already, and I must. I was saying to Brett earlier. I think this must have been quite a hard book for you to have written, to have delved back, to have put on the page. Would you say hard to live? I mean, nothing will get close to actually the life of that first eighteen yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, so relatively uh, easy to write. Um, previous to the publication, I'd used the files to take the government to court. So I'd had three and a half years to acclimatise myself to the fact that every two months a stranger was writing a report about my progress in my life that would have a fundamental effect on on me and my life. So, uh, no, I was ready to write this. Mm, okay. now, by, by the time this was... Uh, I was ready to write this, very ready. I'm match ready at the moment regarding the story. It's a live story, man, so um, I don't think it would be fair to put out a book of this emotional impact without being somewhat emotionally ready to do it. It's called My Name Is Why, and obviously the, the it, there's, there's many issues that you tackle in this book, and, and from what you're saying there, it's, it's, it's time now to be talking about them. WikiLeaks, um, you know, even the way Brett's book is going into the machinery of yeah. the business, you know, this is the machinery of the business of childcare that stole a child, changed his name, denied him of his of his his family, uh, and then left him in the wilderness. But it is looking at the machinery, the actual. Uh, you know, it would be interesting in Brett's book, actually, come to think of it, of, to see some of the contractual kind of doublespeak that happens mm. that puts you in a position where you find yourself at times 
without advice. Mm. You know, uh, this book of mine shows the actual uh, reports from the social services, which somehow made me invisible. I mean, how can that happen? That you can have a report written every three months? I, I thought a, a really a very moving little detail that you mentioned is, is how no one was allowed to take photographs. Yep. Uh, and that made you invisible, and, and so in a sense, your 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 kind of your your childhood and your and your past was was kind of taken away from you. There was no records of it, and that that really moved me. I thought that was just so incredibly sad. You know, the the, the way that most people kind of like you can flick through family albums, yeah. and you're reminded of these times, and you didn't have that, and that was so moving to me. And it's a beautiful little detail and so powerful. And I think on, on a wider sense, you know, in, in a wider sense, you, you writing a book like this, it's. It, 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 it having a very very personal element, which of course it does, because it's about your upbringing, um, is so important. Because sometimes subjects like children in care, it, it can be, it can come across as dry if it's from the, if it's from an official report or something like that. But the fact that it's got a, a personal element, it's so much more powerful mm. uh, and and so much more so much more moving than 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 a, than a dry sort of intellectual yes, investigation. Yes, and a lobbying book, you know, yeah. book that would yeah. say, this issue needs to be looked at. You yeah. know, it's not doing that. It's no. looking at the specific story of a boy in relation to the files. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Brett. That's... It's so important. I think, in a way, that's, you know, and for an even wider point, that, you know, that's, that's the power of art, mm. you know, to, 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 to take the general and to personalise it. Uh, you know, it's that it's that whole thing. Like you know, you can read a, a thousand stories about about the atrocities in Syria, for example, mm. and you see a photograph of a of a boy in in, it does, in, it does in, all, in debris it, yeah. or something, and suddenly you, you're, you, it moves you much mm. more. And, and a, a powerful memoir like yours can 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 be so much more important than 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 a thousand kind of official reports on these on these matters. I think. Thanks, you Brett. Know. That's it. and that's yeah, yeah, that's it. Yes, because you, you, Lem, you were you were seventeen when you realised that your name wasn't Norman. <laughs> yeah, thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I'm not saying anything against uh, the name Norman. Actually, it means man of the north. I found out only okay. a couple of years ago, uh, uh, which is actually you know sort of has its poignance with with my work but yeah. but um yeah i found out that i my name was lem say when i was 17 and a half because i had to be given been, my birth certificate yeah that must have been such a strange kind of thing when it came to your own identity because to know yourself as in one name and then suddenly to un uncover that you had another name or so did you have sort of issues about oh my god who you Look, were and at 17 and a half i was I realised uh, that I'd been scammed, you know, somehow yeah. mm. that, that uh, I was about to leave the childcare system uh, and I, when they said to me, we have to give you your birth certificate so we have to tell you yeah. your name, that's basically what this was. It yeah. wasn't a yeah. personal sort of helping of me, I don't think. Well, no, maybe it was to a degree. When I realised, when I saw that my name on my birth certificate was Lem Sisse, I then knew that I'd been cheated. Yes. So I was then, you know, I then was like, okay, how how did this happen? And the more yeah. I investigated how that happened, the more I got to, oh, you stole me from my mother and, um, and you imprisoned me as a child 
and and this is proof that something's wrong right at the beginning of my life. So yeah. I then had to, you know, embark on the journey of finding out what what happened, and that took till two thousand fifteen. Hmm. Yeah. Does does it feel like a different, like those seventeen years was a different person in some ways? No, no. I feel like I am the guy. <laughs> you know, the beauty of seeing these files is that I know that I was, I was the kid that I that became the man yeah. and I didn't have any proof of that before uh, like not having photographs I didn't have a person to say oh you were a, you were the funny kid or you were the you were the depressing kid or you were the thoughtful kid or you were any I had no relativity so the the idea of not having a photograph is symbolic of so much more mm. and and I can look in these files and see oh no I was always a sparky kid I was a sparky kid when I was a kid. It's there, it's written, it's proof. Yeah. That's what your family does. It says to you, you know, you were this, you were that. And then you can argue with that. Well, that's the thing, <laughs> isn't it? Photo, you know, photos are, you know, they, they, they kind of, they're part of your story, aren't they? They're yeah. part of your, of your story as a person. They're part of mm. your, your, very much your identity. And we're all, we all need to tell ourselves stories about who we are, don't yes, we? Yes, even if Somehow. it's not true. It doesn't no, matter whether, what I thought they never true. many ways. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a story's yeah. a story that, you know, we're all kind of, we're all kind of uh, sort of, Kind of constructing our own personas to, to you know, we're kind consciously of, you know, we're kind of unconsciously slowly building a little nest out of these little feathers of bits of reality. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and making this sort of like slightly brittle kind of like edifice, you know, and, that, and that's our persona, you know, this kind of a weird little nest we make kind of thing. And, <laughs> you know, this I, is that's so true. <laughs> this is this is and yours as well. Both of our books are somehow, you know. Those nests, we are nests. That's such a powerful uh, metaphor. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fascinated with the, with the concept of persona and identity. It's it's something that really fascinates me. Having been through, you know, mm. with the, the kind of quote unquote the sort of fame machine sort of thing, and how it distorts um, who you are, and that, and that difference between you who who you believe you are and who other mm. people believe you to be and that that huge chasm between those two things and at points in my career looking back that's been the chasm has been huge and at points it's been closer together and it's, mm. that's a really interesting dynamic how Isn't that how funny? that how that how that changes it's just funny that that is precisely my book as well yeah. from a very different perspective but actually very similarly, you know, the idea of be who you are and who you're told Absolutely, you are. Absolutely, yeah. And the power of people telling you who you are, how that can affect you. Yes. But or how you can defend yourself against that. Yeah. Or how the two can come together. It's precisely what you said. Yeah. In the fame machine, which is which can distort. Yeah. Um, but then we can distort, I can distort my idea of myself of as course, well, you yeah. know. Because so we're all telling ourselves stories about <laughs> ourselves, aren't we? We're kind of like, we're kind of editing these things, you know, we're sort of like choosing the stories to tell about ourselves because we've got an, a, we've got an, a kind of like a, a story about who we who we kind of want to be, who we want, what the, the, the us that we want to present to the world. And it's really interesting, the concept of storytelling, because it, it's not just personal. It's kind of like, you know, you get it in 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 in, in sort of like the, the, the story of a nation, for example, you know, the kind of like the story that Great Britain decides to tell the world of who it is kind mm. of thing. And that's constantly being revised and, 
you know, and we're finding it at the moment with with the whole Brexit debate, aren't we? You know, the kind of what story are we trying to tell the world about who we are and the and the difference between the two stories that the, the leavers and the remainers want to tell yes. about themselves. Yeah. You know, yes. it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. So that you know, we're all this, this constant thing about we're telling stories. You know, and, and it they're brings, believable. We believe them in our deepest. Of course, and they of and ourselves. they're both truth and fiction at the same time. You know, they're not. It's it's not kind of lies. They're they're, they're part truth and part fiction. You know, it's it's. It's a fascinating idea, I think, you know. Talking of, of photographs and how Lemmy's saying, you know, there there are none of your childhood and growing up. And, Brett, one thing that struck me from reading your memoir is, you know, just how much you were in front of a lens yeah. in those early years of Suede and, and beyond. Well, but... Ironically, I haven't printed any photographs in the book. No, no, <laughs> you didn't need to, though, because yeah. the way you talk about that, that garnered press attention and, you know, how... From interviews with the Melody Maker, and then mm. you're on you're on 19 covers before the first yeah. albums even come out. Yeah. So, what effect did that that complete opposite have on you? I know we're not talking about your childhood mm. and such, but you know, just being classed well, still, everywhere. Still, my kind of you know, still your my youth. formative years. I mean, even though I wasn't technically a child. Uh, this was happening in my sort of mid twenties, mm. when when and there's kind of scientific evidence to, to to suggest that we don't, our brains aren't fully developed until we kind of like get into our late twenties. So you're still kind of I'm still developing as a person. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I ask that about I ask the, the question in the book. You know, what kind of person would I have been if this thing hadn't happened to me? That fascinates me. That kind of that I, that slide indoors idea about you know if I, if I'd have led a different life, <laughs> what kind of a person? And you can never know. You know, but it does fascinate me. Um, you know, the constant, constantly being scrutinised like that, mm. um, and I think it kind of like it makes you. I think I'm only beginning in the last few years, possibly in the last ten years, to sort of deconstruct myself and deconstruct my persona and to kind of like find out who I am to a certain extent. I think having children really, really affected me there because I think you know, as soon as I had a had a child, I suddenly wasn't the most important person in the world. Um, <laughs> this little screaming kind of like blob of flesh was the most important person in the, person in the world. Um, this milky, burpy little sick machine was, you know, was more important than me. And um, so that was really interesting. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, what, what kind of effect do, do these things have on you? I suppose that, you know, they kind of, they make you self-conscious, they make you they make you vain, they make you they make you brittle, they make you arrogant, all of these mm. things, you know. They, and and it's only looking back on these things that you realise what a kind of like, you, you're amazed that anyone really survives any of these things. And I think there's lots of casualties. The fame machine, for want of a better kind of term, is it's amoral. It doesn't have an opinion about anything. It's just a, it's, it's like a tool. It's like a machine. Mm. It doesn't have, it doesn't have a moral standpoint. It just, it just, it, 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 it kind of magnifies things. It extremifies things. It, it, it acts, acts, acts as a sort of like a, as a catalyst that speed things, speeds things up. It magnifies the, 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 the extremities of, of one's personality. And thinking about, we have to, we have to realize that back then. In in the sort of early to mid nineties, the the press and spe- specifically the music press was was huge. It was it was a swell. Of, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's how people learn about these. It's things. it was you know it was kind of like um, central mm. to, to to the kind of like the the media of the time. And this is this is another interesting point that I that I touch on. Um, wondering about anyone that reads my book that wasn't aware of how the media used to work in the 90s and the, and the years before the internet would be aware of how important things like the enemy were um, mm. 
And nowadays, they're, you know, they still exist in some form, but their relevance is definitely marginal now compared to, you know, years ago, uh, uh, the music press could make or break bands and it was seen as a gatekeeper to all of these things. And I also question, you know, whether we've lost something culturally now that we don't have those gatekeepers or or, or the gatekeepers have changed. Um, And there used to be a very kind of um, sort of... (laughs) Uh, sort of scathing kind of like war between the melody maker and the enemy. They used to be used to be very sort of almost like this sort of Punch and Judy show sort of thing, you know, where the where where the enemy would champion bands and the melody maker would slag them off. And it was this, but it was petty and silly, but it kind of created debate. Mm. Uh, and I think debate about music and debate about art is is so important because it kind of it it, it kind of it 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 kind of um, regulates it, yeah. you know. It, it kind of like it acts as a filter, and I also talk about sort of vicious, sort of uh, vicious reviews as well. How important it is to be slagged off sometimes, yeah. you know. And I and in the nineties and the eighties and the seventies, bands took their life into their hands when they released a record. And if you if you you know you weren't on your game and you released a bad album. You know, you, you, the press would come down on you like a ton of bricks. Even when, if you release a good album, they would just take sides and be yeah. very, very personal about it. And that whole process definitely kind of affected me as a person. And that's partly what the book's about as well. Yeah. Brutal in the nineties, they were absolutely, they were brutal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dog shit and diamond. Exactly. Yeah, that's one of the. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. That's one of the one of the chapters in the book is actually called "Dog Shit and Diamonds." It's about it's it's about a, 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 a kind of focus on a, a on a, a tour we did with a band called Kingmaker, and the band Kingmaker were kind of like championed by the enemy, and we were championed by the Melody Maker, and it became this sort of like this this horrific, vicious catfight between these two 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 sort of like you know poles of the media. Um, and we were kind of like seized upon and used in this sort of like kind of chess game, you know. Mm. Lem, do you remember what you were reading, like who you were reading when you were younger and, and growing up and who sort of helped shape you and made you want to become a writer yourself? Uh, some books that were important to me in my teenage years was Catch a Fire by Timothy White, which is the autobiography of Bob Marley. But early days it was your Enid Blyton's and your mm. uh, famous fives and secret sevens and the reader's digest and the so yes, Lewis. and the broad yeah absolutely all the Christian yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. they were Baptist my foster parents so they would only allow books were very filtered yeah mm. yeah they were the, my gentle walk into uh, into the imagination really Mm. A safe walk into the imagination. <laughs> yes. Do you know what I mean? With the Enid Blyton books and the um, and fairy tales and Brothers Grimm, uh, all of the particularly books that uh, led towards Christianity. I didn't realise that at the time. Mm. Yeah. But later on, I look back and it's obvious that that's the case. Yeah. So the Bible played quite a bit. You know, there's a lot of reading of lots of stories and in the Bible. Um, where it was John Burnside said, metaphor is as close as a person can get to their environment. Really interesting. Mm. The Bible was all about symbolism mm. and metaphor, yeah. mountains, seas split open, <laughs> burning bushes, etc., etc. Actually, that could have been actually real, but, well, all of them are real, but as metaphor, yeah. they speak about the inner world of the of the writer. This all sounds quite, you know, 
highfalutin. It's not metaphor. It's not highfalutin. And also, Henry Normal said, metaphor, metaphor, that's a load of crap, that is. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Hey, if you don't get that, listener, it'll be a little while. The pe- You'll be in Sainsbury's and the penny will and it drop. it will drop. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> the penny will drop. There you go. We live with metaphor. Thank you. We live with metaphor all of the time. So to be introduced to that so early um, had, I think, an effect on me, possibly. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because something like, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is a, is a metaphor in itself, isn't it, for the Bible, which is a metaphor for other things. It's a, <laughs> this kind of... Uh, it's so true. We live in this kind of like wilderness of mirrors, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so true. And that, that then, yeah, we live in a wilderness of mirrors. And that's... All reflecting on each other. Yeah. yeah. Brett, I wanted to ask you a question. Can I ask Brett a of question? Of course you can. And it's, do you feel like you've arrived at who you are in this, in, in being a writer? Now. Do you, yeah, do you feel that, um, that you... That, that, that this form is a form that you're, you were meant to get to through your creative journey. Um, I think I, I sort of know myself better than I ever have through through, through writing. Actually, I think that, that's the most useful thing personally that I've found about about writing um, is that I've kind of used it as almost as a I suppose like people use therapy where you're kind of the therapist would sit there and just sort of make you answer your own questions about yourself in the same way the page does that. You know, you're kind of writing things, you know, and I'd be sitting there writing that. Oh my God, I'd never realised that about myself before, sort of thing. And you're you're just on these things that are buried in the subconscious that you find you can uncover through writing. And I'm sure you found that uh, yeah, as well. Fine. Well, I actually, I always say to people, uh, no, therapy is therapy, and a book can't be therapy, and writing can't be, but it it it, it, it creativity can't be because, but it it relates to a therapeutic process, but the actual process of therapy is so particular mm. to a therapist. However, that is the best explanation of writing as a kind of therapy that I've ever heard. Mm. So I'm going to be listening back to this podcast <laughs> so I can quote you in future when I come to this uh, this idea of writing as therapy and I will say, well, and that was just the perfect explanation. I can't remember it word for word, but it's on the podcast. It's on. It's, it's, so it's, it's on record it. now. We can rewind that little bit. Yeah, there, no, exactly. no. the world we live in, eh? The yeah. But it, it, you know, that's so. I've always had a, a relationship with no, because I I like therapy. I have a therapist. In fact, I'm going to see my therapist straight after this. You couldn't write a book like this without, you know, you couldn't have this childhood that I've had without yeah. without a little bit of help. Did, was it was it a painful experience writing your, your memoir? No, no, no. I had three years beforehand with all of my files, in which I was I had to read them intensely for the for the court case, and after the court case, I then uh, I then began the book. So I was kind of ready. Um, I did a gig at the Royal Court. Theatre in London, where a lot of my this, my psychologist report, which was used for the court case, was read to me for the first time right. in front of an audience. The psychologist report on you? Oh, that was written on me that's for weird. my court case. Oh, that's weird. I heard that a lot of people committed suicide when they take the government to the court and they have a psychologist report written about them yeah. for their court case, but then it, it hurts them so much. I'm sure. So, because it must I, be so brutal. So, I love the stage. Yeah. Uh, and I can say things about myself on stage more than I can in person. Yeah. And I feel safe there. It's my safe place. <laughs> it's my safe So Julie Hesman-Dolch played the psychologist. We put tickets up. They went in two days. 
And then I heard my report the same time the audience heard it. Wow. So I'm saying this to you because, yeah. because, because when we share deeply personal and painful information, I think it's important for the artist or the writer, the creative person to be ready to a degree, mm. you know? And my dialogue isn't, I wouldn't throw this on an audience if I was messed up about it. No. Mm. Living it is the hard thing. Sure, yeah. uh, living with it is not easy for any of us, any of our stories, but I'll talk about me. Living with it can occasionally be difficult, but um, but that's not a journey to spew over people. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, you want to be as kind to other people as you can be to yourself, which is to share openly, to share your your best self, even if it is your most vulnerable self. Or, but um, I think yeah. it's worth you know it's it's if you're continuous continue can what what I found with with my with my book when it came to kind of like unpicking um, parts of the story that were quite uncomfortable, you know, kind of friction between people mm. what i really want didn't want to do was blame people yes uh, I, I didn't want to kind of set up this thing where 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 i was kind of saying you're to blame for this or that's to blame for this it was it was more of a kind of like well i could have dealt with it better or you know it's 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 kind of it, and i think if if you're blaming people you're you're not you're not kind of you're not moving on you're not kind of getting over these things are you and it's kind of it's important not to it's important to sort of just grow beyond that isn't it that a book is not a score settling no. thing because that, that that's very one note as well yes exactly and I, I didn't want to do that this sort of like you know bitchy kind of like you know expose of other mm -hmm. people and finger pointing mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. that's the last mm -hmm. sort of mm -hmm. book I wanted mm -hmm. to write you know I think it's you, you, as a, a sort of memoirist you sort of need to there needs to be a sort of like a generosity I think a generosity of spirit I think it's important I agree know? I agree wholeheartedly and, yeah. the, and the reader I think wants to feel yeah, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I think you both achieve it as well in both of these books. Um, and they're just, they're so so rich. And I actually would say that on most memoirs, I wouldn't reread them because once you know the stories, you've sort of, you've got it. But with yeah. both of these, and it's not just because you're sat here, I would happily go back and read again because I think there's more layers. I think there's more to learn from both of these mm. books. Um, and we could sit here and talk about them for a lot longer. Um, but what I want to, but we're Actually, not going to. Well, we're not going to, <laughs> because the people listening are going to go out and buy these books <laughs> and, uh, and find out more for themselves. We're going to talk about other writers, writers okay. that perhaps you love and that uh, uh, that have inspired you. In the book off, uh, which is what I said earlier, each of you gets three minutes to tell us about a book you absolutely love <coughs> and you think that the listeners uh, would like to read or should read if they have. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, so, Lem, before we get into it, what book would you like to put up for the book off? I'm going to put up Binti for the book off, right. which is written by Nedi Okorafor. Okay. And Brett, what are you going for? Uh, I'm not going to go for one of my... I, I have a sort of series of books that I always go back to, that things like The Collector and Atonement and mm. stuff like that, mm. uh, Birdsong, stuff like that. Uh, I'm, something that I've read recently that I really enjoyed is a book called um, How to Stop Time by Matt Haig. Haig I've yeah. got this book. Yeah. I've not read it yet. Okay. Uh, great. I'll tell you why you should. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to decide who's going to go first or second. Len, would you like to be first or second? Um, <coughs> well... Go for it. Can I go first, yes, Brett? Please. Shall I? Yes. And, okay, all right. And Brett, would you like to be honked out on your three minutes or given the royal bell? God, they both, they both sound so, so um, <laughs> uh, brutal. Um, yes, they are quite I think the bell's nicer. The bell's I mean, nicer. Got a, got all a, right. There's a sort okay. of zen-like quality yes. to the bell, whereas the, the, car, the car horn just reminds me of, of, of traffic jams. So. And, and, yeah, it might, might incite rage. And uh, so, so, Lem, you're going to be... You've got three minutes on the clock. Okay. And uh, when it's up, I'm going to honk you out. Um, you don't have to use all three. Um, but it's over to you to... It's not going to be like this game where you can't repeat yourself. No, yeah. there's no... There's no can't use the word, same word twice. Repetition, ah. deviation, hesitation. None of that. I'm going to have trouble there. And I, I've just got to say, I wasn't prepared for this at all. No. Uh, so I... I, I um, so yeah, we, we, we've, we've laid the foundation for both of us delivering the most inept... Yeah. I um, don't believe it for ...presentation of these... Pre- <laughs> I don't no, believe don't it for a second. Don't put pressure on us. Come on, let us, let us say it's going to be inept... When we can right. only, we can only get, yeah. it only weighs keep up the bar from there. Low. <laughs> okay, keep it low. Keep the bar well, low. Well, the, the bar is very low for you then, Len, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to tell us about Binti. Uh, three minutes on the clock, if you wish to use them. Over to you. So, first, Binti, welcome to a brand new genre, which I think is called Afro science fiction, something like that. It's one of the very hot things in publishing at the moment, led particularly by a writer called Nedi... I'm going to get this right. I'm sorry, Nedi. Nedi Okorafor, who is a West uh, African-American, in particular, uh, writer. Anyway, Binti is about a... It's part of a trilogy, and it is about a student on uh, a planet... Uh, who runs away to university uh, on another planet. Um, she, her parents don't want her to go. They want her to stay at home. She's from a rural fam- family. And she gets onto a, a spaceship, which is going to that other planet. And uh, some aliens come onto the spaceship and kill everybody except for her. And she locks herself into a, a room, into her room. It's... Honestly, I have never written, read anything like this book, OK? I, it's very difficult to explain. Try to explain, Lem. OK, <laughs> she, Binti, uh, has this thing from home, this mud, 
which is called, I don't know what it's called, but it's very healthy for her. Um, she's from the Himba um, ethnic group uh, in this place. It's, uh, it's difficult to explain, except for to say this. You only realise that all of the science fiction you've been reading is by people from the West when you real read science fiction by s people from other parts of the world. So basically you get to enjoy science fiction all over again from a totally different perspective. So it refreshes what you already know and it gives you more. It gives you more. Um, that's, quite, that's quite a not specific... But it's worth it because this woman who's gone on to write films with Viola Davis, uh, she's she's working with the Oscar winner Viola Davis at the moment on a new film. Um, it, she's hot and this is hot of the moment. I know Brett's writer is also hot, you know, uh, so this is a really good book off. <laughs> and time is up. <laughs> I rang that, didn't I? Yeah, but that's uh, all right. You you had 25 seconds left, but you didn't need them, did you? I you probably need, could I have said was... something about the fact that it is a trilogy and the fact it's a novella, so it's very short. Um, and, yeah, you, you get through it in an afternoon. Wow. I haven't read this book, but, but I think science fiction at the moment is becoming such a sort of important genre and yes. I, I never really read much science fiction when I was young but you know now we're living in such a we're living on the cusp of something mm. technologically that that science fiction is the only way that you can really understand things sometimes I can't I can't read really? a, a dry scientific journal and I really understand mm. what's going to happen what's likely to happen in the next 10 mm. years technologically but I can watch Black Mirror or something like that, yeah. and that Thank delves you. into... So having not... No, I will give that a spin. Yeah. Science fiction always told us about who we are. The first interracial yeah. kiss was on Star Trek. It was, wasn't it? Do you know what I mean? Uhuru and Kirk, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. So science fiction yeah. has always... Doctor Who has always had kind of forward-thinking subjects just ahead of us. We are living with science fiction right now, of right? Mm, yeah. With our, the yeah. internet. Mm. And, Absolutely, uh, we really are. So, We're so, in it. Yeah. And we've yeah. seen, you know, contemporary writers like Ian McEwan or Jeanette Winston in incorporating that in their writing as well. I AI thought the new Ian McEwan book was really interesting. Actually, it's my, it's my favourite book that he's read for written for a while. Actually, mm. I'm I'm a huge fan of his you know peak period, but um, I haven't really um, liked that much that he's written until the the latest one. It's called Machines Like Us. That's right. That's yeah, a, yeah, it's a really interesting it, sort of investigation into the sort of like the sort of like moral dilemmas that are going to face us as a, as a, as a, as a society when kind of AI becomes more sophisticated. Yeah. Um, and a really, it, it had something about it, that book, that you couldn't, couldn't really like anyone in it or anything <laughs> about it. So you, you were left feeling quite sort of, well, I was anyway, a bit yeah. empty after I, I think. Yeah. I, I tapered off. I didn't finish it. Didn't actually. you? No, I just tapered off. Uh, but it's just my, you know. Your, I mean, your I love tape. him. Yeah, He's yeah, incredible. yeah, yeah. He's a great writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not Ian McEwan that we're talking about in the book. It's of Brett. not Ian McEwan. It's Matt Haig. So three minutes back on the clock for you to tell us about how to stop time. Okay, I found it a very moving book. Um, I found it so moving and so powerful that I had to go back and reread it as soon as I'd finished it. And there's very few books that I have to do that with. It's a book about. Um, love. It's a book about history. 
Um, so the, the the kind of basic synopsis is that, that it's a it's a it's a story about a a, a sort of four hundred year old man, and he was born in Stuart times or Tudor times or something like that. He was born sort of four hundred years ago, and he's got this condition um, which means that he ages very very slowly, and so it's 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 he falls in love sort of hundreds of years ago, and the woman he falls in love with inevitably didn't have the same condition as him, and she dies. And so it's him mourning her for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's just a, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. And, and he kind of like, he, he, he's living in, in contemporary London as a teacher of history, but he's also reflecting back on his past life. And, and he talks about his mother, who was tried as a witch and all of these things. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. One of the things that I really liked about it was um, the way he talks about contemporary London, but he also projects this sort of historical London onto it. So he'll be walking about, I think, in fact, he's living in, um, in, in, um, in Hackney, I think. And he's sort of remembering how Hackney used to be hundreds of years ago and saying, well, this road didn't used to exist and stuff like that. And I personally find myself doing that sometimes, walking down. London is so, it's so sort of like bubbling with history all the time. I'm always sort of imagining what it was like hundreds of years ago. So for some reason, it just really resonated with me about what I, the kind of things that I think about anyway. And I found it a very, a very moving book, a very, a very beautiful book, a very powerful book. And uh, that's all I have to say about it. Excellent. Wow. He's such pitches. a good human being, Matt Haig. Matt Haig well. is a wonderful, yeah, wonderful man. It's the only it? book I've read by him, actually. Are there others that, yes, I, that I should do? Yes, there are, yeah. which I've, they're all melting from my head. Well, there's a book the about his, is... his, his struggle with depression, isn't there? Yes. There's two. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got which it. I haven't read yet. Yeah, yeah, um, which is which just recently was made into a play, I think. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I was right. Listening to Saturday Review in Sheffield, I think it was. Yeah, or Leeds, Sheffield or Leeds. Yeah, because he he's written um, fiction for children. The humans being one of his first ones was a great great book, um, and how to stop time. He's written for adults as well. And then he he wrote uh, two non-fiction books. Notes about on a nervous mental. planet. Notes on a nervous That's planet the was the late is the latest yeah. one. And yeah, and it's he's just a a brilliant advocate for yeah you know well being well being and mm. and he's a, he's a really great writer as well. Yeah. Do you follow him on Twitter? I don't, I don't really. Tw- I don't oh, really you don't Twitter, tweet. Okay, really, no problem. But, yeah. but his Twitter. I lurk occasionally. But <laughs> maybe, maybe I should should lurk just, a bit more. He's just an inspirer, you know. Okay. He's just a good. He's just good human being. You you see it in his Twitter feed. Yeah. He helps yeah. people. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a kind. Uh, yeah, he's. Yeah, he's a good, good egg. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, a yeah. good egg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a great book, and, and I really enjoyed your pitch, Brett. In fact, both of them. Um, I don't know Binti, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know uh, Neddy either, the author. So this, listening to you talk about it, it just intrigued me completely. Mm, wonderful. To, 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 to want to know what this new genre, yeah, you know, this yeah, yeah. Afro-science fiction. Um, and, you're, and you saying, you know, you, you, you realise by reading her that yes. you haven't read science fiction like this ever yes. before. And, and that you, is a, yes. what a realisation. And you realise, well, you realise that what the science fiction, uh, yes, yes, you realise that a lot of the references in our science fiction are to do with us mm. and to do with Western society, mm. which is fine because that's where it's written from. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you, when you see science fiction in another, from another culture, you, it reflects on, on your own, yeah. really. Yeah. You know, which is great. And... With Matt's book, um, which I have read, you know, you're so right in that it 
it manages to do the it, it's about someone who's lived for 400 years and in in some incredibly clever way he writes the history and the contemporary and the future yeah. in it within mm. that um so beautifully as you say he sort of weaves that in yeah around just a just a great love story mm. yeah um, well it's a, you know like all kind of books it, it, it sounds slightly fantastical but mm. i think like any great novel it, it's just about the simple things in life it's about sadness it's mm. about love loss. it's about loss all mm. of these things that all great sort of writing is about yeah. you know you, the, the, i think all all great writing is about a core of human emotions and you just clothe it in different clothes you know mm. well I, I i love the both pictures and i love the sound of both of them i'm going to say we're going to take home Eddie Okorafor, I think, for Whoa. just because Whoa. of this new genre, this this. Yeah, writer, you can't beat a pitch that a pitch that starts with <laughs> "Welcome to a new genre." Really. That's, that, that's, that's pretty that's strong, wasn't it, Brett? You know, it was pretty strong. But also, I just, yeah. I feel like you're right about science fiction, Brett. It is yeah. sort of so relevant at the moment, and it is it's becoming a genre that, yeah. that is more widely read. Mm -hmm. I remember people talking about science fiction, uh, science fiction with a small s and a small f, and now I think we're starting to talk about science fiction like it's meant to have been read, you know? Um, but thank you both for both of those pitches, for those recommendations, for your brilliant memoirs, which I can highly recommend to everyone. Afternoons with the Blinds Drawn is by Brett Anderson. It's published by Little Brown. It's available now. And My Name is Why by Lem Sisse, published by Cannon Gate and also out now. Gents, I could sit here all afternoon. We could get more coffee in, but I think uh, it's probably time to leave it there. Uh, <laughs> for now, anyway. Um, Brett, Lem, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 